My name is Alex Gilpin from Revive Church. Um, it is such a, a blessing to be here. Blue Springs has been such an important part of our journey since the very beginning. So we're five years old from public launch as a church, but that journey started more about six and a half, seven years. And a lot of that was me praying around the city, others praying about what this work would look like, not sure exactly where it was going to be, and landing at Van Horn High School in Northwest Independence um, was truly a God thing, a spirit-leading moment, and you guys played a huge part in that, and so thank you. If you're new here, um, you have found your way into a very kingdom-minded church. Um, there are great churches that preach the gospel, and there are powerful churches that preach the gospel, but then also care about the spiritual landscape of the city, and you guys are that. So thank you so much for what you have done. The staff here has become very close to us, um, great friends. I love spending time with Nick, Dave, and Adam, and Tim, and everybody. It's just such an encouragement to be here. So this is fun. This is fun for me. So as a church, and we've been talking a lot about what our focus is going to be, our aim, and really what we've come down to is these two words, prayer and trust. And they seem so like inseparable that we just left it alone and just said we've got two focuses. I mean, they really cannot be taken away from one another. I'm here, I'll say it this way. Any Kansas City Chiefs fans? You're like, yeah, don't ask that here. Like, let's just say go Chiefs and soon go Royals, right? Um, you know, Mahomes, he's got to have Kelsey out there running that accurate route to get in the right spot where that ball's going to end. And it's incredible the vision that is involved with a quarterback to see where that is, right? And on the other side, Kelsey's got to know that when he gets to that spot, that ball's going to be right there for him to take it and then do something with it. Same with prayer and trust. They need each other. Um, prayer is the posture of or recognizing that you are not in control. I think at the foundation, that's really what prayer is. To say, God, I don't have an answer here. It's best if you don't try to fill in the blanks for God, but simply present your requests and say, it's yours. This is your deal, your power. You have the resources to make the difference. And when you pray... It puts you into a season or maybe a life of trust, right? Many of you know this to be true. This idea of trusting in God, below that might be this mantra that the Christians have of ready for the unexpected. Have you ever heard that before? How is that even possible? Like, it doesn't even make sense, right? I mean, ready for the unexpected. And the only way that that is even somewhat achievable is when you trust something so much bigger than yourself that no matter the outcome... No matter the situation, God is in it, and he's going to bring you to a season of peace and prosperity through it. I mean, it's beautiful to know that we trust God. And so those words just were inseparable for us. Underneath that is this idea that we choose to put God first in all things. We choose to put God first in all things. At BSCC, you guys kicked off a series last week. I got to watch it online. It, it was great. Dave did such an awesome job in helping us understand that we must put God first, especially in the area of finances, especially in the area of money, because he's in charge. God's in charge. He has the resources to make the difference. But here's the cool part. He cares enough to engage with us. Recognizing God as creator is almost like this duh moment. I mean, at least it has been in my life. Like that seems fairly easy that he's the sustainer of life. That's, that's great. Underneath that is like this idea that God actually cares enough to get in our life and work through us. And it's so beautiful to know that he cares that much. So today what we're going to do is talk about money. Sounds fun, right? 
I actually really enjoy talking about money. And it's not because I love it. It's because it's a proving ground of where your love and trust and faith is. I mean, money, it's like these power chips that we carry around in our pocket or in our bank account. And we decide on a daily basis if we're going to give God the power or if we're going to try to keep it for ourselves. And so it's such a tangible way to really look at where our heart is. So I think it's good for us to focus on it because it represents something so much bigger than just money stuff. Here's a startling fact. Uh, Follow me on this. Um, In your lifetime, you will most likely have $2 million pass through your hands. You're like, yeah, right. That's, that's, that's not me. Here's some math and check me on this. Um, the average income in America is $52,000 a year. Times or multiply that times 40 working years and you get, drum roll please. Nope. Okay. Two million bucks. All right. So basically I'm looking at a bunch of millionaires. Congratulations, guys. You did it. Um. <laughs> now the idea is it passes right through our hands, Right. You guys know this as adults. I mean, you just, you just kind of touch it. You just bless it along its journey, right? I mean, you don't really hang on to it, and you shouldn't. There's this guy. Let me tell you a story. It's really creepy, okay? There's this guy that comes in your house, in through your mailbox. His name is Bill. He never says thank you. He takes what he wants, and then he bounces, right? You guys know this? Yeah. It's horrible, right? I mean, it's absolutely horrible. And so it just passes right through our hands. Here's the thought, and hopefully this is convicting for us this morning. If I were to put you in charge of a $2 million business, and you managed the books for that business like you managed the books for your personal life, would you fire you? (laughs) Thanks for being real. Yeah, many of us are like, absolutely, I'd call them into my office. I got to let you go. And then you realize that's me. So, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah, there's been seasons in my life for sure that absolutely I got to let this guy go because he's not managing the way that God would want us to manage our money. And so that's hopefully the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today. Um, Today we're going to look at two scenes um, that have the power to help us put God first. I mean, we're going to look into the living word of God and hopefully leave different, closer to Christ in his understanding of how we should view money, but really just where our priorities should be. So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Um, God, thanks for this. Uh, We thank you for an opportunity to come on Sunday. I mean, the beginning of our week just to get right with you. I pray that no one is exempt from this message in their mind. If they've been following you for a long time or just stepping into the Jesus life recently, we just pray that everyone would take that next step closer to you. I pray that all the distractions would go away. We all have stuff that's in front of us today and this week. And I just ask in the name and power of Jesus, God, that you would... Give us a blank slate for you to write on our soul what you desire. You have your way today. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, we're going to call this first section, My Two Cents. We're going to look at this gal that literally put in her two cents out of Mark 12, and then we'll jump over to Luke 12. So I'm just going to read it. Um, If you have your Bible, open up. It's on the screen or listen to it as a story. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. 
Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All that she lived on. What a cool story, right? But simple and yet, yet really deep. Because just at face value, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, how could Jesus say that she put in more? Because, like, obviously, these rich guys dropped in some serious currency. They could fund ministries and do these great things. And so it speaks of this upside-down way of Jesus. It's like counterintuitive, countercultural. Like, Jesus is after something very different. We have to look deep into this because there's a huge cultural divide. I mean, I've been around church most of my life in religious sittings, Jesus meetings, all sorts of stuff, even other places around the world. I have never seen a scene like this at all. Maybe you have. I've never seen anything like this. So let me explain it a little bit. So we've got this room, and around this room are these shofar chests. And it's like this wood chest with, a imagine, a trumpet horn sticking out of the top, Okay. And these guys, and Jesus just talked about them earlier in this chapter, like these religious leaders, the Pharisees, these guys that were all about, like, look at me, look at me, right? Were walking around with these large coins of great value, and I imagine they were, like, just flicking them in the different trumpet tops, like, making it rain Jesus style, okay? But not pleasing Jesus, but just, like, look at me, right? Look at me. Imagine the sound around. I mean, can you imagine it? I mean, it's all these people and all these coins just hitting this metal. I imagine those... um, coin tornadoes that McDonald's used to have. You guys know these things? Where have these gone? Where have these, I mean, if anybody has one, I would love to do that. But you stuck the quarter in, if you were like, if your parents were real generous, more like the nickel or penny, and you stuck it in there and you just watched that thing go around and then it finished so fast and it was just amazing. It was before video games got our attention. And if you were like me, I was that kid that would take a penny and just slide it right down and ruin some kid's day because it would mess up his quarter. (laughs) <laughs> that, yeah, that was, that was me, um, for sure. So I imagine this, um, you know, and then Jesus just pays attention um, to what's going on in this, this, this woman's life. So you think about the sounds that this made, right? These large coins hitting these trumpets, I mean, very loud, and then her two small, seemingly insignificant coins coming in, and that's what got Jesus' attention. And, and here's the thought that Jesus always notices great faith, Like when you look through the Gospels in the message, it doesn't matter like how chaotic the situation is. Jesus had this ability to hone in on great faith. That's what he notices more than fancy words, fancy lifestyles, you know, obvious bring my attention to myself. Jesus doesn't care about that. He just notices great faith. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of try this out a little bit. So I actually need a volunteer. Anybody want to come on up? Um, yep, yep, you were the first one. Can we give it up right here for someone that's gutsy enough? I always love it when someone volunteers and you have no idea what's going on, right? Okay, you're still in it. Okay, um, so this is my example of like one of these trumpet tops, okay? This is a funnel for an old tractor. So I'm going to need you to hold it. What's your name actually? Taylor. Taylor, I'm Alex. So good to have you. Let's come over here. Um, and we're going to try this out here. Back up a little bit. You can have some faith. I'm going to try to throw these in. All right. Um, I'm a big basketball fan, KU. All right. I know it's Mizzou country over here. Rock Chalk is right. They invented the game of basketball. Look it up. All right. <laughs> okay, so um, these, like, two little 
pennies here, seemingly insignificant. I'm going to try to drain these. If I hit you, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, got one. Not too impressive, right? But hear that, that sound doesn't really make much noise. Um, now I have a 1921 silver dollar. Okay. Wow, really impressive. It's like worth 10 bucks. Okay, so I'm going to need this back too. It's <laughs> my lunch money. All right. Uh, I'm trying to sync this. Oh, much louder noise, right? But what happened? It got stuck. All right. Thank you so much. Give her a round of applause. And so the, the mic drop moment for today is that think about these guys walking around the room with their fancy coins, being all prideful. Pride, it gets us stuck. You guys are with me on that? You're supposed to go, oh, pastor, thank you for hitting me here. No? <laughs> we got to loosen up a little bit. Like You and me, we're both in this thing together. So let's just imagine Jesus sitting there, okay, in this scene. I mean, in the corner, not bringing any attention to himself, just watching what's happening. And he sees this woman walk in, and she brings these two small copper coins. I love this. Now, Jesus knew all about what was actually going on. Now, this temple court, okay, was not honoring to God. It was actually very corrupt. And this, this woman, we know a couple things about her, that she had recently lost her husband, and she was very materially poor. And she was putting her money into a system that was very corrupt. Follow me on this journey. The coins that these guys and this gal were throwing their money into the, the boxes, that money, those coins could very well have been the ones that were placed in a bag that were handed to Judas to betray Jesus. And there sits Jesus watching this all happen, saying, this isn't the time for that. That will come. But right now, I'm going to notice this great faith in this woman. And that's what got his attention. I just love Jesus, how he pays attention to the heart of the matter. Here's the thought, and then we'll move past. Bet on God. Would you say that with me? Bet on God. A couple years ago at Revive, we handed out these poker chips to everybody. And the idea is that you would put it in your, your pocket. Some people drilled holes and put it on their keychain, in their purse, in their car, something. And whenever they, they touched it, they would think about that. That I'm going to bet on God. Not, listen carefully, not when all else fails. Not as a last resort, but right out of the gate. First, tells us in scripture, first fruits, right? We bet on God first. It's best when it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense for this poor widow, and Jesus noticed that. Now, I'm all for, and I've received some of this good Christian financial coaching, helping me understand how to appropriately go about my finances. But one thing we have to make sure we're careful of, and I deal with this a lot, is saying it's okay to step outside of generosity and focus on what I need right now because I'm in crisis mode. That word has really been toxic in our community a lot. Sometimes it's for real. Often it's an excuse, and it's a cycle that someone will never get out of. Here's the thought. We don't just give when things are going well. We should not teach that we give only out of the abundance when stabilization has come. Even when it doesn't make sense, we put generosity on the front end because we know that's what pleases God. That's great faith, and it puts us out of control and God in control. Does that make sense? 
Generosity first, guys. We bet on God. And I know I'm talking to a group that gets it, but we have to understand that. And that goes against what the world teaches. Now let's take a step to another passage of Scripture. We're going to talk about legacy. Um, How would you define legacy? I would say it's something that you leave behind of great value. On the intentional good side, it comes from a giving heart to help. What we're going to look at is the other side of it. A guy whose legacy was to hoard and keep for himself. And hopefully it's obvious as we read through this that none of us want to be on that side. We want to do the opposite of everything that this guy was all about. So we're going to jump to Luke 12. Let me give you a little background and then I'll read the text. Jesus is in the middle of talking to his disciples. And he's talking to them about some really important stuff. He's actually getting on the case of the Pharisees. He's saying, they are hypocrites. They say they're about something, but they're about something else. Be careful of them. And then he teaches some great stuff about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God that can come in and guide, and you should put your hope and your trust in him. And it's a beautiful message. And then out of nowhere, this guy just stands up and interrupts the whole talk and says, hey, Jesus, Can you fix my money issue? It's just like if in here we're talking about Jesus and somebody just stood up and said, hey, Alex or whatever, can you fix stuff that's going on in my life with money? And totally interrupted the lesson for today. Please nobody do that if anybody was planning. Bill, were you going to do? No, nobody's going to do that. Okay. All right. Luke 12. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them. Now this guy became an an analogy for Jesus' lesson. Isn't that cool? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is really interesting. This guy completely missed it. How is it possible that someone in this situation, physically there listening to the teachings of Christ and misunderstood the purpose of him even being there? But isn't that possible today? You could be in the church for 50 years and never meet Jesus. Seems odd, but it's true because you never let him in. Jesus is about heart change. So this man thought that Jesus was some kind of umpire to help him get his money that he thought he deserved. Let's talk about the mission and the preaching and teaching of Jesus for a second. It was primarily focused on our relationship with God, the forgiveness of our sins, and the heart of our God to rescue us and give us a purposeful life. I mean, those are like the big pieces of Jesus' mission, not how do I get my money. But yet that's where this guy's mind is. Let's settle on some stuff that most of us have ended up in what we'll call the valley of death in our understanding of Jesus. It's a misconstrued understanding. Some because maybe you were taught wrong. More likely, you picked and chose what you wanted to take into your own life, into your heart. Jesus has always been the same and he'll always be the same. His message is clear, right? That doesn't shift. But how we view him and how we play it out in everyday life That could vary based on who's in here. And that's unfortunate. And so I hope that you can kind of reset. Let's jump now to the story that Jesus tells. Luke 12, 12, 16 says, He told them this parable, which just means a really helpful story. Isn't it good that Jesus teaches us in a way that we can understand? 
I don't know if anybody else in here is as simple as I am, but I just want you to just give it to me. Tell me what I need to know. And Jesus does that. He told him this parable, a certain rich man, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So already we know that this guy is rich and he had been recently blessed. Let's look at what else we already know about him or we'll get ready to know. First, he thought he was smart, storing up for himself treasures. We'll call that pride. Remember, pride gets us stuck. We're going to talk about that more here in a second. He thought he had foresight. He thought he knew what was coming. We'll call that being just straight up naive. He thought he was successful and in control. That word control is so nasty because we never have it. It's elusive. It's like this facade of thinking that you might have control. We got to lose that for sure. And then here's another one. He loved his possessions more than himself for God. And even as I read that, it sounds ridiculous. Like to love money, possessions, stuff more than yourself and more than God Almighty. But it's not hard for me to look at my own behavior over the years and say, yeah, I've, I've played that out. I've lived that way before. So we might have a lot more in common with this guy than we have indifferent. Let's jump back into the story. Luke 12, 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. So I've got it all figured out is what he's saying. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store up for myself surplus grain. Surplus means extra, right? Abundance. I'll say to myself, you have plenty. This guy liked talking to himself, by the way, right? <laughs> Did you know you only know you're crazy if you answer yourself? Talking to yourself is fine. Do it all the time. Don't answer yourself. Have others speak into it. But this guy liked talking to himself. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Here's his plan. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Man, this guy had a plan, right? He was going to chew the fat. Just relax. Take life easy for the rest of his life. Here's the crazy thing. This story is in the Bible, right? And God, up to this point, has not entered the story. This is his thinking, what he plans, and all according to his wisdom, his knowledge, his thoughts. But God has some really cool stuff to say here in just a second. Here's a thought. Pride kills. And it's because it ultimately pushes God out. It says, I don't need him. I've got this. A definition that's really helpful in my life for sin is the curse of self-centeredness. And here's the idea, that we were created by God Almighty, and he put himself where he belongs in the middle, and everything went according to the way that he designed and desired. And sin came into the picture, we chose it, we accepted it, and we kicked God out of the middle of what he actually created. And we put ourselves there and said, I, little old me, has a better plan, a better way than God Almighty. And everything, including God, will work according to what I think. Sounds ridiculous, but that's really what sin is. And here's the cool part. The Christian pursuit, the Christian life, is humbling ourselves, reaching out through Christ to get back to the original design with God at the center of our life. But this idea of pride, it kills because it kicks God out of the place that he deserves to be in. I don't know if that's helpful for you, but it sure has been for me. Let's finish out the story. Now God's talking. 
God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. It's not hard to look at that text and feel like, I don't want to be someone that God calls a fool. Last week, Dave um, shared a message of a couple guys that were rewarded, and it was said that they were good servants. Well done, good and faithful servants. So that's on this side of things. On this side is you fool, and you get to choose which life you're going to live. Here's the thought. This life could end for any of us today, right? It's finite, but we have a choice of how we're going to live. Live to leave a legacy, When we think about our money, it's so much bigger than that, but when we focus in on our money, invest in something that will outlast you. Let me close with this. When you view your money as yours, and I get this thinking. I'm around a lot of of good blue-collar guys that put in their literal blood, sweat, and tears to finish out their work day. And there's just something about that. I just love being around. And there's this feeling that when that paycheck comes, man, I earned that. That's mine. When you view your money as yours and you spend it foolishly, irresponsibly, it's really not that big of a deal because it ends with you. And I don't know if you're like this, I assume. I'm used to disappointing myself. We all have insecurities. I believe we're all middle school students and adult bodies playing it out, okay? None of us are fixed. Christ is fixing us. So it's not that big a deal. Okay, I screwed up again, it's just money. But when I view my resources, my money, my craft, my time, my talent, my family, everything as God's, that's a whole different ballgame. When I think about it, the creator, the sustainer of everything that has ever been in motion, the lover of my soul, for some reason, instead of him saying, good luck, good riddance because of all the sin that you guys have brought in, he says, I want to engage with you, love you, create a plan, a hope. When I think of God, I think of a risk taker. He sent Jesus' only son to this messy earth to bridge the gap between imperfect man and perfect God. And yes, it ended up well, but it was a messy process, one filled with rejection and hate and frustration and ultimately murder. But really, victory. So beautiful, the message of our God. When I view my money as God's, it seems a whole lot more important. Anybody else with me on this? I want to invest in something that outlasts me. I want to fund the kingdom of God so that we don't have to have conversations about what we have to cut back, but we can sail and thrive in our world today and say, let's go and bless other ministries around the world. Let's get people's needs met. Let's work together. I mean, money is a powerful tool. But all that set aside, we're not chasing a certain number. We're chasing heart change to say, I'm surrendered in front of you. Here's the last thought, and then I'll pray, and we're going to dismiss from the message today. Here it is, four words. God owns it all. Can you say that with me? God owns it all. One more time. God owns it all. 
You are not an owner. You are a manager. And there is a big difference. This is true with our money. This is true with everything we have around us, in us, that we think is ours, our passions, our heart, everything, our life. It's all God's. He owns it all. We are to be good managers in this. Would you stand as we pray over you just a, a prayer of, of mission? and Let's pray. God, we, we surrender before you and we recognize that you are in charge. You are the one that has the resources to make the difference. You are the one that cares so deeply for us to help us understand this through Jesus' teaching, through the Holy Spirit's guidance, that if we bet on you and we put generosity on the front and your blessing comes because you notice great faith, that's how we get your attention. And we want your attention, God. We want more of you in our life. I pray as we go today, we start to just say it over and over. God owns it all. God owns it all. God owns it all. I'm betting on God. Let this be a changed, changing day for all of us. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.